few weeks ago in the Indiana South District, we planted a new church in Bloomington, Indiana. The church is called The Bridge. Uh, started Pastor Phil Bogarin's wife Brenda and, uh, and uh, uh, Pastor Hughes have started this, uh, this work in Bloomington, Indiana. And why that matters to us is because we participate as a church. We participated with them in the planting of that church. We contributed uh, from the funds here at uh, Faith Wesleyan Church $2,000 to help them do their pre, pre-launch advertising and a lot of other things that came up at the last minute. So when, when you give to Faith Wesleyan Church, a lot of times you just see the money go in, in the offering plate and you wonder, I wonder what they do with it after that. Uh, It helps advance the kingdom everywhere. And part of your faithfulness in giving has helped encourage another congregation, the Bridge Church in Bloomington, Indiana, as they launched uh, just before Christmas and uh, are are experiencing great success right now, um, just across from Bloomington North High School um, in the city. So um, as well, um, your member at uh, Missions Conference this year, we had a George Beals from World Hope International was here at Faith Wesleyan, and he spoke, and, he, and, and then he prayed on Sunday. Do you remember the seminar he gave? Anybody remember? Should I give the homeless man a dollar? Remember? He talked to us about poverty and the effects of poverty, but, but George was here, and, and we saw him in Florida this week, and, and we have some exciting news because uh, shortly after that, someone in the church gave me $1,000 and said, I, I want to uh, start drilling a well. Well, I'm going to put this toward drilling a well in, in uh, Sierra Leone. And uh, we have, as a church, partnered with uh, World Gospel Church and First Baptist North, on a work in Sierra Leone that involves a village called uh, Pelewala, P-E-L-E-W-A-L-A. And it's a largely Muslim uh, village. In fact, it's probably 95% Muslim. There are a handful of Christians and there's a church and there's a school. And uh, we have partnered with them and I just wanna tell you that uh, the well, the well has been drilled in Pelewala and the project is going forward and, and we're excited about the possibility and God has called a young man, uh, African uh, Sierra Leonean man to, to pastor the church there and someone from one of the churches paid his, uh, his uh, Bible school expenses so he's receiving training right now to go and be the pastor of that church in a predominantly Muslim region of Sierra Leone, Africa. And, and, and as you give and as you support missions and the work of Faith Wesleyan Church here in Terre Haute, you need to know that your money is reaching and making a difference all around the world. So that, those are two exciting news. And I think that God deserves a hand clap of praise for what he's doing everywhere. <laughs> so like I said, uh, it's good to see you this morning. I didn't know if we would see you uh, based on the weather reports and uh, the snowmageddon uh, predictions that, that were coming to us in Florida. But I, I just want you to know, I did get out my snowblower yesterday just for fun and blew out. That snow was heavy, dude. That was heavy and wet, and I just didn't want to work that hard, Jim. So I just fired that up and blew out the sidewalks. But uh, it's fun stuff. One day we're sitting by the pool, and the next we're blowing snow. Life is, life is good, right? <laughs> life is good. Well, his name was Jim. 
And he lived across the alley behind the church with his mom and twin teenage daughters. When we met him, his daughters were uh, like 15 years old. He was one of the first people we got to know in that tiny South Dakota town of Bristol. And our church over the time we were there sort of adopted Jim's daughters and even hosted a graduation open house when the girls graduated from high school. Nobody else was going to do that. And, and so the, the little church said, somebody's got to do something. They're, they'll be the only ones in that graduating class of 18 that doesn't have a graduation party. So the little church there, the ladies in the church got together and did that for, for the family. And before we moved from that town, our church bought the old house that Jim and his mom had lived in, and we acquired all kinds of treasures in that purchase, like an old school bus with a tree growing right up through where the engine, the hood was popped in. There was an engine and, and a tree. And I have a couple of memories about Jim. One is, he loved to hunt and to fish. He loved it. And whenever he shot something or whenever he caught something, he would generally show up at our back door. He'd ring the doorbell and we'd look out and we'd see Jim. One time he was standing there with these two great big honkers, giant Canadian geese that he so proudly wanted us to see. One time it was, uh, it was a northern pike. I don't know how big it was. You guys fish, you know how big fish are. It was in the middle of January, and I noticed that his hands were all cut and bloodied, and, and if you know anything about uh, Northern Pike and, and, and uh, the weather in South Dakota in January, you know he wasn't open water fishing. So he had pulled that dude through a little six-inch hole in the ice, and the fight and the cut, and he was just standing there so proudly beaming, showing us. We didn't get to eat any of it, but uh, he showed it to us. I can only imagine how he ever got that huge fish through that tiny hole on the ice on Wabe Lake. It's crazy. It's crazy. And the other memory I have about Jim is that I left Bristol never knowing if Jim knew Jesus or not. He'd been to our church. I preached uh, his sister's funeral. He came to his daughter's parties. He knew I was a preacher. We talked a lot about all kinds of things. But I don't know even what happened to Jim after we left Bristol because he moved away. I don't even know where he is right now. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Title of the message today is Messy Church, and I'm just going to invite you to hang with me because even though you think you know what I'm going to talk about, you have no idea. One day, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with uh, the people crowding around him and listening 
to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats. They were left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets, and he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Peter, as we would know him. Got into the boat belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he, Jesus, sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that the, both of the boats began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and it appears even the great catch. They left everything and followed Jesus. Pray with me. Father, this text was inspired by your Holy Spirit. The physician Luke recorded it for us, for others who through the centuries have read these words. I pray that today you would... Uh, you would inspire those words again to find their place in our hearts and help us to be good students today. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, I forgot to mention this, but uh, I bring you greetings from Dr. Dennis Jackson and uh, the Babcocks, and we had a wonderful time meeting with them in, in Florida, and I bring you greetings from the entire Global Partners staff, actually, they said to greet their friends at Faith Wesleyan Church. So you have, uh, you have been greeted. Now this morning, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest. What, what you're about to hear may not be uh, a homiletically correct message. I may or may not follow the rules of homiletics this morning. But what, what you're going to hear is my heart. Because we're friends, right? We can do that. We're friends, and you're going to hear my heart, and you're going to hear about how God is working and has been working in my life, and, and I'm going to cast a little vision this morning. But here we are in Luke chapter 5, and what we see from the very beginning is that Jesus is repurposing Peter. He, he's, he's 
taking him from being a fisher of fish, a cleaner of fish, a seller of fish, to being a fisher of men. We've sang that song, right? I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. And so Peter gets re repurposed. And I was, as I read this passage, I was thinking about the time in my life when God repurposed me. And really what God wants to do for all of us is to repurpose us. And I, I remember it was shortly after uh, I had come to faith and, and, and God had made me new by the power of his grace and and we, we were in a, in a small group. We were, we were part of a small group that we loved. And then God said uh, to us or led us or we were asked to, and, and me being a guy that just doesn't know how to say no, said, sure, I'll lead a small group. And, and so we began leading a small group. And then I was at the same time studying the book of Acts and, and uh, reading about the way God moved. And, and it was shortly after that that God called me to be a, a pastor and then, and then in the midst of that, right in the midst of that, as we were studying the book of Acts, first person in my life I ever had this happen, God allowed me to be the midwife in the new birth process. There was a guy that was a part of our small group, and, and, and one day the opportunity arose, and I was able to share the, the gospel with him clearly and plainly, and and, and he received Christ as his Savior. And it was like, it was like God was saying, this is what it's going to be like. This, this is what it's going to be like if you follow me in this calling. Joseph, can I just tell you, this is just a commercial break. I'm so proud of you for saying yes to Bloomfield and going down there and stepping out of your comfort zone probably and, and stepping into a new uh, work and and preaching last week. Who knows what God's going to do with your faithfulness, but we want to be this church, your family. We're going to be your biggest cheerleaders as you pursue God's call in your life. So God, God repurposed me, and, and, and that, that scene with, uh, with uh, the guy from our Bible study repeated itself several times over the next few years, and, and one of my favorite stories to tell, and, uh, and I never get tired of telling it, but his name was Tom, and, and I have this practice. If I ask you out for lunch, the first time I tell you up front, I don't have any agenda today. I have no agenda and the second time I take you to lunch or, or invite you to go to coffee with me, I will tell you up front, I'm going to ask you the most important question of your life before we leave this table today. And, and Tom was a guy that had attended our church. His wife played the piano. She was a, a keyboardist extraordinaire, and, and, and she loved to play the piano, and they had started to come to our church and, and uh, had come from another uh, denomination and started attending the Wesleyan Church. And, in Buffalo, Wyoming, and, and Tom had, had been in the church, around the church all his life, and he went to small group. He was a part of a small group, had been a part of a small group for years and years and years, and I was sitting at lunch, and I, just out of the blue, I told Tom, I don't have any agenda today, and, and the next time I went, we, I'm going to ask you a question, and so we, we met at Pizza Hut, because they have that great buffet, you know, and you can eat all the pizza you want for... And I was sitting with Tom the second time we ate lunch there, and, and I said, Tom, how is it with you and Jesus? How is it? Well, pretty good. 
pretty good. I said, Tom, do you know that you're right with God? Do you know if your heart's right with God? And he says, well, I think so. I don't, I don't know. How, how, how do you know if your heart's right with God? Was his question. And so I walked him through, you know, the Romans road for all of sin. Wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. And if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. And we finished our pizza and we walked out in the parking lot. I was standing next to Tom at, uh, at his pickup truck. I said, Tom, have you ever asked, have you ever received Jesus? And right there in the Pizza Hut parking lot, we, we prayed as cars were driving by and we prayed and Tom received Jesus. It's incredible. It changes the trajectory of his family. He went from being a spectator in church to a participator in the mission of the church. Involved, engaged. And then this last week. We were in Florida, and you know how you know how sometimes before God does a work in your life, you can feel those tectonic plates under the surface in your heart start to shift, and you know God's up to something. And you, you ever had that happen? Well, we were heading to Florida, and great thing about a conference like that, like the gathering, it was a gathering of over two thousand Wesleyan pastors and leaders, and. Uh, worship people from all over come on the platform and speakers from all over the world and you're out of a familiar environment, you're in a new place exposed to conversations and teachings that you're not exposed to on a regular basis making, uh, you're just kind of filled with expectancy and even before the conference I asked Cheryl, do you remember this? I said, what are you hoping for? What are you uh, asking God to do while we're at this conference. And, and I was secretly in my heart hoping she didn't ask me because, you know, if you ask enough questions, nobody ever asks you questions. She told me, and you can talk to her about that later, but I was secretly, I will tell you what I wouldn't tell her or didn't want to tell her. I was secretly asking God to break through some of the growing cynicism in my heart. What does it matter anyway? You know? Then we went to the reception for global partners and we, we talked to some global partners missionaries and we talked to pastors who are part of churches that have a long history and, and I talked to Ben Ward and I talked to Phil Gormong and I talked to uh, Dennis Jackson and, and we, we were there and then Dennis Jackson stood and he, he told this story about, uh, about a global partners missionary who as part of their accountability plan, because you know when you send missionaries, they, they develop this accountability plan. We don't just send them to go do whatever in whatever country. They put a plan together and they have an accountability plan. And this global partners missionary had, a, had an accountability plan that, that I thought, did he say the right number? 
980 clear presentations of the gospel, personal, not, not in a crowd like this, but personal engagement, 980 clear presentations of the gospel in the next year. Mathletes in the room, that's almost three a day. Clear presentations of the gospel. What must you do to be saved? I was thinking, I don't know if I've had 980 in my life. Pretty sure I haven't, Adam. And I'm starting to stir in my spirit, and, and it's, like, it's like, you know, wow. God, I want that. I want that again. I want that again like, like it was when Tom in the parking lot in Buffalo, Wyoming, or with my small group, or, or, or the countless others that along the way. I want, I want that again, and 980. And then Thursday night, I don't know, you stumble across uh, passages of Scripture people say it's a divine appointment, I don't know, but I was, I was thumbing through and I, I stumbled across Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, you've forsaken your first love. I have this against you. <laughs> You're really great, but I have. This is one thing. You've forgotten your first love. And I hear this whispering in my ear. You know, do you remember when I called you? Do you remember, do you remember the, the, the one phrase that, that just captured your heart and arrested your attention and, and you wrote it down everywhere you went and you shared it with people? It wasn't a Bible verse, folks. It was a, it was a statement John Wesley made. And he said, you have nothing to do but save souls, so spend and be spent in this endeavor. Nothing else to do, Bob. And that captured me. And, I, and, and, and I, I'm an introvert, but I'm so relational. I mean, I just love. People. And then the Holy Spirit pulled from my memory a, another, another piece of Scripture. It's, it's a short book. You're familiar with it. Philemon, it's tucked away. You probably flip past it a hundred times while you're finding which Bible passage you're looking for. And Philemon is tucked away. It's just a little one page. Only has 25 verses. Philemon starts out this way. You know, Paul's writing to... Uh, to And he says, this is to Philemon and to the church that meets in your home. And he says, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm sending Onesimus back to you more than what he was when he ran away from you because I'm sending him back to you. He's a brother now. And we know what that means, that somewhere after Onesimus ran away from his person he served in an encounter with Paul and Paul led him to Jesus it appears 
And the undertone, the undertone of Philemon is kind of funny if you think about it, if it weren't so sad. It's, it's you know, you had a church that met in your house, Philemon, and Onesimus served you, and, and he was there all the time, and he probably served all those people that came to your house to have church, and he was, he was there watching and wondering in all those years and all that time, and he had to run away to hear the gospel. You missed him. You missed it. And then John Maxwell preaches Thursday night. I'm going somewhere with this. Hang with me. John Maxwell preaches Thursday night, and it's like he's been reading my email. You ever had that happen? Or the, the preacher's preaching, and, and it's like, how did he know that? How did she know that? And John Maxwell, I don't know if you've read any of his books, but, but he is like the Wesleyan of all Wesleyans. I, I don't know. Most famous name was Pastor Skyline Wesleyan Church for a while, left being a pastor to enter the, the secular business climate because, because in his words, he thought he could reach more people um, not pastoring a church. And, and he said this in the course of his conversation that night that, that you know, it's like, it's like uh, God has been talking to me that I've kind of forgotten what he called me to do. And John said this. He said, you know, early on in my ministry, I made it a goal to lead 200 people. That, write that down, 200, 200 people a year to Jesus. Not have 200 conversations, not tell 200 people your story, not, not uh, preach 200 sermons a year that share the gospel. He set his goal, 200 individual, sit down, face-to-face, lead people to Christ moments. He expected, he had asked God to help him do that. I don't think he missed it very often. I felt the Holy Spirit again. Bob, do you remember when I called you? Remember what I asked you to do? Go fish. Go catch people. Well, back to Peter and Jesus. They have this encounter, and Jesus has come, and the crowd's following him. Peter uh, has his boat and his partner's boats. They're there, and Jesus gets into one of them and says to Peter, Simon, push this out in the water so I can speak to these crowds as they push me in. They're going to push me in the water anyway, so just get me in a boat and get me out there. And then he tells Peter, get out in deep water and fish some more. I think here's the first key. 
is Peter's willingness. Master, I've fished all night. We've fished all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so. But because you say so, I'll do it. Do you ever think what would have happened if Peter would have said, I'm just too tired, I'm not going to do that. Because it seems to me that willingness is so often the gateway to something we could never have imagined God doing through us and for us in our lives. I'll, I'll just do it. What, what would Peter have missed if he'd have said to himself, you know, you know, what does this guy know about fishing anyway? He's just an itinerant preacher from Nazareth. What does he know about fishing? Who does he think he is coming up in here and telling us to go out again after we fished all night? I mean, if, if you think about it, that would be like some Wall Street banker from New York City showing up in Terre Haute and telling Larry or Mike, this is how you farm. Peter says, because you say so. And he was willing. What's your willingness factor today? What's your willingness factor today with Jesus? When he says this. Humility. catch the fish. The boats are sinking. Peter says, oh, I am such a sinful man. He worships. Peter knows it wasn't his mastery of fishing technique or farming technique or business technique or whatever it was. God, and he just humbled himself and said, my life is yours. And then verse 10, courage. Jesus speaks to him, says, don't be afraid, just try. God is with you. Peter didn't know the first thing about fishing for men. He didn't. He may not have even understood what Jesus meant by that. Right? I don't know. I mean, think about it. He, he hadn't even raised his support team when he left to follow Jesus. And, and from what it looks like, the guys didn't even cash in the fish they had just caught. They just left it all and followed. I mean, what, what, what would have happened maybe if, if he'd have said, let's, let's finish the nets first. So Jesus, give us time to clean out the nets. I remember another incident. A man said, let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. Or maybe tomorrow, let me go home and think about it. But that's not what he said. And this is what I take away from this passage. There are moments when you don't have to have it all figured out. 
You don't have to have a one-year plan, a three-year plan, a five-year plan. There are moments that come up, and if you wait to figure it all out, you will miss the moment. You'll miss it. Ecclesiastes 11, Ecclesiastes is my favorite book in the Old Testament. Speaks to my melancholy spirit, and I don't know what it is about it. It was the book I was reading when I was saved, when, when God did a work in my heart, and it was Ecclesiastes, the last chapter. And God will bring everything into judgment, including every hidden thing. It was, it was the word God used to penetrate this heart of stone, and in Ecclesiastes 11, chapter 1, it says, you don't have to have it all figured out. Cast your bread upon the waters once in a while. After a few days, it'll come back to you. You don't know. You don't know whether this will work or that'll work. If a tree falls in the woods, it'll, will it fall to the north or the south? It'll fall. Sow your seed in the morning. Don't let your hands be idle. Just get to it and trust God. Because you just never know. We lived in Buffalo, Wyoming. We had just built this new church. We had moved the campus, sold the old log building, moved to this new campus on the edge of town, and and uh, built this new building, and we had two services that were just doing really great. And came about this time of year. And I went to the board and I said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we do a service at eight o'clock in the morning? It won't be like the other two. The other two were exactly the same. The music was the same, everything was the same. We, I said, it won't be like that. It, 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 here, here's, here's what I was wondering. I was asking God the other day, uh, you know, the Ecclesi... I'm not going to use the denominations. But there were a couple of denominations that made some decisions and, and people left the church. over issues of priests and who could be a priest. And I asked God, I said, I wonder where they're going to go to church. I said, hey, God, I've got an idea. I don't know if it'll work or not, but, but what if, what if, I like the Anglican church. I kind of like liturgy. I kind of like the idea of, of walking through liturgy. And I kind of like the idea of singing an historic song and, and having communion every Sunday. Could, can, I, can we start a service like that here? Just let me do it. I went to the board and I said, and they said, did God tell you to do that? I don't know, but he didn't tell me not to. And at that point, my heart was right with God. My relationship with God was good. And Malachi 3 was operative. I mean, we were, we weren't robbing God of anything, tithes or offerings. And so we launched this. I said, let me do it for six weeks. I went to the board and said, let me do it for six weeks. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Just let me do it for six weeks. And we started. It's still going today. The, the next pastor said, we're just going to keep that going. 
I think, I think sometimes as we follow Jesus, there are those, some of those just try moments that come along. Because we're Arminians, right? We believe in free will. We believe that, that we, we believe in the Wesleyan quadrilateral, right? That scripture, we are bound by scripture, but reason, tradition, and experience inform all of our decisions along with scripture. And God has given us a mind. Wesley said, God has given you a mind. Use it. Think. I'm really going somewhere with this because it's important that you need to know this about me. I like to try new things. I was talking with Kendra before the service and, and uh, where do you work? What keeps you busy? Uh, it's a restaurant. Sometimes we try new things and we just, and things change all the time. I said, I miss that. Because I could just invent sandwiches at Arby's until the big guys came in and said, you can't make that sandwich. <laughs> this looks good together. This looks good there. Why can't we try that? And people would buy it and eat it and love it. Sometimes they'd buy it and eat it and hate it and not do that anymore. I'm struggling to say here is that in a few weeks we're going to try something new on a Sunday night. Rebrand, whatever you want to call it, Sunday evening service. Change the time, change the format of it. Process started like this. You know, back in the day, Pilgrim Holiness people, they used Sunday night for an evangelistic service. Didn't they? Sunday morning was for the believers, and Sunday night they set it aside and said, we're going to reach people. Maybe we'll pull out all the stuff. I don't know. I wasn't around. I wasn't a pilgrim then. But I like that. I like that about our tradition. I like that about our heritage. Because they hear what Jesus said, I want to make you fishers of people, and they do it. And what you need to know about me is, I'm a holy experiment kind of guy. If, it, if, it, if, if my heart's right with God, and in, the idea doesn't directly contradict anything I read in the scriptures, And it has the possibility of, of that I don't have to wonder whether people know Jesus or not. I can know because or reaches different people. I'm going to say yes. And I don't always have a plan. I don't always have the end game figured out. I don't always have, I don't, I don't know the beginning, the end from the beginning. I don't always know that. But. Ecclesiastes says, sometimes the end's not. Better than the beginning. And if it doesn't work, go ahead, pick myself up and dust myself off and try again. 
right? That's how our kids learn to walk, isn't it? I think about that every time I see Timothy running around here. I think, when did he learn how to walk? Oh, I know how he did it, because a walk is really just a controlled fall, right? You learn how to stop yourself. Right? And it drones in the back of my head like this drum that just won't quit. If Jesus comes tomorrow, if he returns tomorrow, based on statistics that Adam has been sharing with me and somewhere between 36,000 and 50,000 people will miss Jesus right here in Terre Haute. And they'll go to hell. And they'll perish forever and ever and ever. Michael Jordan said, I have missed 100% of the shots that I didn't take. And I'm not asking you to bet the farm. I'm not. But I'm asking you to pray for Sunday evening service. I'm inviting you to come, check it out. I'm inviting you to continue to come to this service. And I'm inviting you, really what I'm inviting you to is attend one and serve one. Because anybody that works in children's ministry knows we could do a lot more in children's ministry if we had more volunteers in children's ministry. So if you come on Sunday night, don't just come and take up space. Come and then serve on Sunday morning and be a part of what God is doing in this service and in this time as well. Because it is one church. Right? And we've all got skin in the game. And our objective is not... I heard... Kevin Myers say this, our objective is not to tell our little story, our objective is to tell God's big story. Because my story doesn't save anyone, but God's story can save the entire world. Amen? So that's what Sunday evening is about. I just want to try just want to do something. We want to stand on the shoulders of the people that have gone before us. The pilgrims like Seth Rees who said there are people out there perishing. Somebody's got to go get them. I just want to stand on their shoulders and see what God can do. See how many people he can save. How many fish we can catch for the glory of God and for the sake of people of Terre Haute and the Wabash Valley. That's all. Are you in?
Because that's the response. What, what, what is your level of willingness? What is your level of willingness? And I'll ask you this. Who's right under your nose? See, when you came in this morning, you thought I was going to tell you that we're going to reach all kinds of people and we're going to have all kinds of mess in the church. And the only mess you really got to worry about is me because as you follow me, as I follow Jesus, there's going to be a measure of unpredictability. It's just going to be. It's who I am. That's my wife. That's who I am. That's the way God wired me. But he also wired me with this heart that just wants to evangelize. And I'll hire people to take care of you. That's why we hired Ryan. That's why we have Ryan or Adam to take care of the students. That's why we have Jamie to take care of the children. That's why we have worship ministry. That's why, that's why we do all this stuff is because, you know, I just want to save people. And I want them to know you. And you can take care of them. And I can go out and get more. And we can go all go out and get more. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to sing. And as we sing, the band's going to come and lead us. Just think. Ask yourself this this question. God, what are you asking me to be willing to do in this moment, in this life of Faith Wesleyan Church? What are you asking me to be willing to do? Pray, give, go, I don't know, be a part Join a small group. I don't know. The other question I want you to ask is, God, if a missionary on the other side of the world intends to have 980 gospel conversations this year, and John Maxwell intends to save, evangelize, 200 people every year. Who are you asking me? Not just to invite him to church. Sometimes us pastors let you off the hook, right? We say, get him to church and I'll tell him the gospel. I'm asking you, who is right under your nose, that if if Jesus came back tomorrow, they would miss heaven. And you have the gospel right here and you can tell them. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it?